Please turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. We will read the first four verses of Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews is, uh, it can be a tough book to understand sometimes, partly because there's so many uh, Old Testament quotes in it. The author of Hebrews uh, used the Old Testament in a very specific way, and he used it with great intention. Um, So as we read through the book of Hebrews, we need to read it with our Old Testaments open. We need to read it and continually be going back and reading and rereading what he is quoting. We're not going to get to all that. We're just going to do the first four verses of Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word, After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Let's just take a moment to pray. Father, we ask now that as we come to your word, that you would teach us from it, that we would recognize that although you spoke in the past, you speak now today to us, and that you would teach us what it is you would have us to learn and see. We thank you for Jesus and what he's done and what he continues to do at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And we pray for us now that you would encourage our hearts by your spirit, and it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. The book of Hebrews, uh, written by an unknown author, you can make all the claims that you want about who you believe the author of Hebrews to be, um, but I think you're wrong. Uh, Nobody knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. A lot of people say Paul. I think there's good indicators that it wasn't Paul. Who was it? Maybe it was some of the um, Apollos. Maybe it was Barnabas. Maybe it was, who, who, who was it? Who do we know? What we do know is that he knew his stuff and he knew his Old Testament. We knew that he went around in the circles with Paul. We knew that when he writes and teaches, he knows what he's talking about. And he writes to certain people. He writes to the Hebrews. He writes to Jews who have converted to Christianity. And the biggest thing that he's writing about is Jesus. And the main message about Jesus is Jesus is better. That's the main message of the book of Hebrews. Jesus is always better. He'll work through Moses. He'll work through angels. He'll work through prophets. He'll work through so many different things, the temple, tabernacle, sacrificial system, high priest, the Aaronic priesthood, and Jesus is better. Jesus is always better. Jesus is always better than whatever it is that you've seen in the past. And he's writing to these people and he's saying, here's what you need to know. Some of you have thought about going back to Judaism. Some of you have considered that maybe Jesus isn't really worth it. Maybe maybe this whole Jesus thing was, was fun to begin with, but Now we're getting heat from the Jews, and maybe we should just go back. Maybe it's not worth it. His message is, Jesus is worth it because Jesus is better. So he starts, the first thing that he says, 
It's an odd way to start a letter. How do the rest of the letters in the New Testament usually start? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to so-and-so. It doesn't start like that. It starts off with a bang. Like, he just, he, right into it. And what is the first thing he wants his readers to know? In the past, God spoke. In the past, God has spoken. And we usually think of God speaking to us through scriptures, right? All scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. The usefulness of scriptures comes from the very fact that it's from God. It comes from authority. It comes from somebody who knows what he's talking about. The authority of the speaker, the truthfulness of what God says comes true compared to what a lot of what we say that doesn't come true. We, we listen to a lot of other people in our lives, right? Especially in social media, uh, news. Celebrities somehow have become people that we should start emulating for some reason. Um, I, read, I read the other day, I'm not going to name the actress, that made a statement on um, gender equality and homosexuality and LGBTQ and all of this other stuff. So lumped everything together. She said, made a definitive statement, and she was being applauded for what she said. And yet, even in what she said, she told us that she didn't really know what she was talking about because she was using different categories, different... She made errors even in what she said. Why do we let these people speak into our lives? Why do we let these people define and determine what should be done? Why do we let Dr. Phil tell us what to do? Or Oprah? Like, what... I don't know what Oprah's degree is in or if she has one or what she does, but she's got a TV show, so all of a sudden we let her talk to us. And whatever she says, it's a good idea to listen to what she says, right? Now, she hands out free stuff, and that's why people listen to her, right? Maybe I should start handing out free stuff, and then everybody would listen to me better. (laughs) Nancy says, yes, hand out free stuff. Every Christmas, the queen gives a Christmas address, right? And for the life of me, I can't figure out why people watch it. I, I don't get it, personally. A queen from another country, now yes, Canada, we used to be part of the greater Britain nation something, Commonwealth, that's, that's the term. But what does she do now? What does she really do? She doesn't make laws anymore. She doesn't make a whole lot of changes. Now, maybe I don't understand a whole lot about what she actually does, but from what I see, she gives a speech once a year and then makes appearances and just waves, right? What is, yeah, thank you. That's, that's about all she does. And yet thousands, hundreds of thousands of people tune in to watch and listen to what the queen is going to say. Why don't we tune into what God is saying more? Now, if you want to listen to the queen, that's fine. I'm not saying you shouldn't listen to the queen. I'm saying I don't get it. But if you want to listen to the queen, fine. But why do we let so many other people speak so much into our lives and we neglect the word of God? We should not forget that God also spoke audibly, right? We think of the word of God. God spoke to us through the word, but he spoke audibly. And this is something that I can't stress how cool that is. Like, I I, I can't express how much we don't get that. I'm talking to you audibly now. There were people in history who audibly heard the voice of God speaking to them. Do you know how cool that would have been? And intimidating and awe-inspiring. God spoke and the universe came into existence. He said, let there be light and there was light. 
And he said, let there be light, and there was light. And there was light before the sun existed. And I don't know how that works. He created the sun a few days later, and yet there was light. I only understand light in reference to the sun, which is wonderfully shining outside today. But light existed before the sun did. God spoke and rivers stopped flowing. They just stopped, just because. He spoke and the Red Sea parted in half however that looked like. And, and the Israelites walked through on dry ground. He said, this is what's going to happen, and that's what happened. He spoke out of a flaming bush to a shepherd in the desert. Now, if you're Moses, and we read through that passage in Exodus, and you hear God speaking to you out of a burning bush, you listen. But how many people would have listened to Moses after he told them how God talked to him? Moses goes back home. Honey, God spoke to me today. Really? Where were you? Well, I was in the desert. And he spoke to me out of a bush that didn't burn up. It was on fire, but it didn't burn up. People would have looked at him a little weird, right? At least I would have. Anybody else willing to admit that if I said God spoke to me out of a burning bush, you would have gone, eh, maybe not. Maybe you were burning a little bush. I don't know. Uh, you know, smoking, it's now legal, so maybe you were. Who knows? He spoke out of pillars of fire and smoke in the desert. Those giant pillars that led the Israelites through the desert that came to rest over the tabernacle. It represented the presence of God. He spoke out of a mountain. Is there anything more intimidating than hearing God speak out of a mountain? <laughs> giant monstrous thing that Moses has to climb on top and he spoke out of it he spoke out of the tent of meeting he spoke to people he spoke to Adam and Eve in the garden he spoke to Abraham Isaac and Jacob in their wanderings he spoke to Moses in the desert Joshua as he invaded the promised land he spoke to the prophets he told them here is my word I am telling you what I want you to say he spoke to people through the prophets he spoke through angels, he spoke through visions, he spoke through dreams. God spoke and people heard. And when God spoke, things happened. It wasn't a dead word that went out. It wasn't just a nice idea. It wasn't just something that sounded good. Things happened when God spoke. His word carried authority. Unlike my word. I can't even get my two-year-old to finish eating the french fry that's in her mouth. She likes french fries. She ate 15 of them already, and yet she holds that one little french fry in her mouth. She's crying. She wants to have a bath and go to bed. And I said, sweetie, you can't get in the bathtub, and you can't go to bed unless you finish your french fry. She won't spit it out. She won't eat it. Don't you want to have a bath? Uh-huh. Don't you want to go to bed? Uh-huh. Then finish your french fry. No. Why does my word, why does my speech as her father not carry the authority that it should? When God speaks, things happen, unlike when we speak. God is worth listening to, and yet so few listened, which is why God spoke to our ancestors, through, to our forefathers, through the prophets, at many times and in various ways. Parents, why do you have to tell your children things two or five or twelve times? Why? Nobody's wanting to answer? Am I the only one that, whose child doesn't listen to me? Why, why do you have to tell them so many times? Because they're not listening. 
Either they're not listening, like they're somewhere else mentally, or they just don't want to listen, right? They don't want to pay attention. They don't want to do what you want to do. God spoke it many times and in various ways because his people weren't getting it. His children were not getting it. And many times they weren't listening. They weren't paying attention. And other times they just didn't get it. Maybe they didn't really understand what God was saying, but he spoke many times over and over and over again. He spoke it many times and in various ways also because he has a lot to say. Have you noticed that our Bible is not small? That we have a big Bible with a lot of stuff in it. And bit by bit, God revealed a little bit more. More times. Different ways. To different people. Because not everybody learns the same way. Not everybody understands the same stuff in the same way. So he teaches and reveals himself in different ways. There was always a little bit more to come. So we ought not be frustrated when we go to the Bible and we don't get everything that we need right there. Anybody ever seen um, Indiana Jones 4? That horrible one about aliens? That was, anybody seen it? Okay, a handful. Maybe this analogy won't work then. At, at the end of the movie, there's, there's the, the Russians, and they're trying to get the alien skull back to the alien ship, and they're going to learn all of the stuff about how aliens inhabited the world and taught the Inca Indians how to populate the earth or farm or something. It's a really bad movie. Don't watch it. They get to the end, and Indiana Jones, they finally get to the place, and Indiana Jones realizes that we got to get out of here. The aliens are waking up from their slumber, and we, we really got to get out of here. And, and the, the main bad person, the Russian lady, she's there because she wants to learn from these, this alien species, this interdimensional alien being that has inhabited the earth and taught all of humanity how to live properly. And she's standing there before the alien, and the alien's looking at her, and she goes, I want to learn. Show me. Show me. Show me more. I want to learn. I want to know everything that you know. Tell me now. And over the next three minutes, as Indiana Jones and the rest of the crew are escaping out of this whirling, breaking down temple ship thing, um, her, her eyes start to bulge out of her head, and they start to blaze, and she starts screaming, no more. I don't want any more. Stop. That's enough. And then eventually she explodes, and um, it was too much. That was the one good part of the movie. Um, she explodes. The information was too much. All of the information about the supposed origin of humanity and alien species, it was just too much for her to hold. God is too big for us to comprehend everything that he is at once. He's a little bit bigger than just one passage, right? So even now, we're reading through a couple of verses, and we can get through the book of Hebrews, and that's still not everything that God is. He's a little bit more. And if we had everything, I think we might explode. I don't think we could handle it. I think we would be standing there not saying, no more, Lord, no more, not because we wouldn't want it, but because I can't handle it. My brain can't keep up. There's too much about who you are. God spoke it many times and in various ways. That also tells me that God's not boring, right? God spoke out of a burning bush. That's kind of weird, but kind of cool. Out of a mountain. He spoke through dreams. He spoke to both believers. That is, he spoke to Joseph through a dream who believed in God and followed God. And he also spoke to pagan magi from the east. He talks. And people know pretty well when it's him that's talking. 
God's not boring. He's worth your time and he's worth listening to. But in these last days, he used to speak this way, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. There's a change, but it's the same God that speaks. This is something that we have to recognize when we go from Old Testament to New Testament. There are many people who want to say that the God of the old is mean and nasty, and the God of the new is much more loving. It's the same God that speaks. There is no difference. And it's the same message that comes through the same messengers. And what is that message? Repent and believe. Now, there are many other things that God says and calls us to do, right? But what is the, the basic message? Repent of your sin and turn to me and be saved. Look to me and be saved, all ye the ends of the earth. I don't know why I remember that in the King James. God speaks to us now through his son, Jesus Christ. There's been a compare and contrast that's been working through the first couple of verses. In the past, long ago, in these last days, he used to speak to our ancestors, to our forefathers, but now he speaks to us. Pay attention. He used to speak through the prophets, and there were many, and some of them were odd guys, eh? Like, some of them were just shepherds. Some of them weren't professional prophets. They did some weird things. They did some pretty cool things by the power of God. One prophet laid on his side. He built a little uh, miniature figure of Jerusalem and laid siege to it with little clay things. And then he laid on his side to represent the sin for 400 or 390 days and then 40 days on the other side. And, and you're supposed to listen to that guy? Like, they, they did weird stuff. They were doing odd things, but the things that they were doing and the things that they were saying were coming true. So they should have listened. He spoke it many times and in various ways to try to help you because you were really bad at paying attention and listening. Not you. Not you specifically. The nation. He spoke it many times and in various ways and implicitly, he now speaks through his son to us right now in a definitive final way. This is the message. This is the one we need to hear. There's something unique about the son. Pay careful attention. Listen to him. Remember Matthew 17, the Mount of Transfiguration? Jesus takes a handful of disciples up there, and who appears with Jesus on the mountain? Who? Pop quiz time. Moses and Elijah. And Peter, bless his heart, opens his mouth too quickly again. He says, Lord, why don't we build, you know, a couple of um, sheds for you guys, and you guys can hang out here for a while. He doesn't want the experience to end, which in all fairness, that's uh, fair, (laughs) right? Moses shows up representing the law. Elijah shows up representing the prophets, and Jesus the Messiah standing in front of you. Of course, you don't want that to end. But then the voice from heaven says, Moses and Elijah, as great as they were, put them off to the side for a second. This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And God the Father says, listen to him. Pay attention to what the son says. Why? Why do we listen to Jesus? Why do we listen to the son? Because God told us to? That's probably a good answer. That's one we give our children all the time. Why do I have to do this? Because I told you to. Now go do it. So in some sense, we should just listen because God told us to. But the author of Hebrews says, look, here are some pretty good reasons why we should listen to the Son. Because of who he is. The Son is heir of all things. Not just people, he's heir of all things. People is um, smaller in some sense. 
We could say people, but all things. Plants, trees, buildings, money, dirt, the sun, the universe. He's not just heir of people. He's heir of all things. It's bigger than people, but it's certainly not less than people. Do we recognize that our children belong to Jesus? That they're his? That our spouses belong to him? We often think of things, what belongs to Jesus? My money, my car, my job, our church building. We say this over and over again, right? And it's true. Does all of this belong to Jesus? Okay, a couple of you think so. (laughs) Does all of this belong to Jesus? Yes. Is all of this to be used for his kingdom? Yes. Including our kids, however he he sees fit. The children that we've been blessed with, are his. <laughs> Candace and I were sitting there, and when the kids were dismissed, we turned around, and the whole section was empty. We got a lot of kids, and they belong to him. All things belong to him. It's not divvied up. It's not split, because there's only one son. It all belongs to him. What we do with heirs and wills and stuff now is we we divvy it up. Some can go to charity, some can go here, some can go there. There's only one son, there's only one inheritance. It goes all to Jesus. Jesus has the supreme place in the universe. Abraham Kuyper, theologian, said, there is not one place in the entire universe where Christ does not extend his hand and declare mine. There is not one place that we will go that does not belong to him. You must be in the Son to receive an inheritance. Later in Hebrews, well, actually at the end of the chapter, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Do you wish to inherit salvation? The correct answer is yes. How do you do that? In the Son. Why? Because all things, including salvation, are in Him. Unless you think that the Son is a spoiled brat, just going mine, 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 like my kids do, through whom he also made the universe. That is, he made all things. He has a right to have everything because he made it. He's not a created being, like some people want to say. The son was not only there at creation, he was actively involved in creation. The angels were there, but they were created. The son is different. The last little bit of, uh, last little bit, verse 5 to 14, the author is trying to say, look, angels are really neat. Angels are cool. They did a lot of special things. The sun is still better. Why? Well, one, the sun can create and angels can't. They're a little bit different. He has the right to be heir of all things. He has the right to actually point in things and say, that's mine. Don't touch. Not yours. It's actually his. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. Does anybody know what the word radiance means? Like, in the sense that, do you use it often in a sentence, like in everyday life? Does anybody? I mean, if we're being, oh, I thought that was a hand there, Ainsley. No, you're not? You don't? Okay. It's just not a normal word. And we we kind of understand and comprehend what radiance means in terms of shining and reflection and, you know, something going out of. The word could mean reflection, but not specifically in this case, not not how it's used. The moon reflects the sun's light, right? 
the moon has no light source in and of itself. It just reflects what is shone on it. It's very passive in its radiance of light. But the passiveness is not what the author is getting at. He is the active outshining of God, of who God is, of God's glory. He is God made visible to us. That is, when we see the sun, God shines out of him. Not in a way that God is shining on him and we're kind of seeing a reflection. It's that we are seeing God himself. 2 Corinthians 4, God's glory is displayed in the face of Christ. You look at the face of Christ and you see the glory of God. Or John 1.14, as many of you will know, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That is Jesus We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Look at Jesus and you see God. Glory can sometimes mean brightness, right? When we think about glory, we think about how bright and shiny things are, the majesty and glory of things. But in the Bible specifically, glory is often used to represent and reflect the presence of God. Remember Moses, after spending time with God on the mountain, after hearing God speak out of the mountain, he came down off the mountain and the Israelites were, were afraid. Why were they afraid? Why? His face was shining because he had spent time with God. Moses' face radiated God's glory because he had been in the presence of God. What we're being told is the sun is the outpouring of the presence of God. He is every part of the being and presence of God. You don't just get a little trickle of glory. You get all of it when you see the sun. All of the glory comes out in Jesus Christ. He is the exact representation of his being. Paul writes in Colossians, The sun is the image of the invisible God. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. The author seems to just be trying to pack an extra punch with all of this stuff. Don't you get it? Don't you get who the son is? He's not an angel. He's not just a prophet. He's not like anybody else in history. He is God himself come in the flesh, talking to you and me. The author has been stressing stressing who the son is before he gets to what he has done, which is so often how we talk about Jesus, right? What is the first thing? When somebody says, who is Jesus Christ? What do we usually say? Savior. I saw Kathy mouth it. Savior. We say son of God, but I think most often we say savior. Who is Jesus? He's my savior, right? And we all say that with pride and joy and thankfulness. But that's who he is in relation to us. And in some sense, we can't break that. We can't pull that apart because we only understand people in terms of who they are and how we interact with them, right? But if I told you, if you asked me who is my wife, and I said, oh, she's the one that cleans up after me, or she's the one that cooks me dinner, is that really telling you who she is, or just my personal relationship with her? Which she does a lot more than that, believe me. Um, Who is my wife? Well, she's the one I love. She's the one I think about throughout my day. She's the one I care about. She's the one that I want to put time and effort and energy into seeing and being with. That has nothing to do with what she does for me. It's just who she is and how I feel about her. 
The author is stressing who the Son is before he gets to what the Son does for us. He is eternal because he created. He is divine because he is God. He does things only God can do. He creates. Only God can do that. He sustains all things by his powerful word. Not only did he create all things, does he own all things, does he have a right to say all things are mine, but he actually keeps everything working for us. Things happened in the Old Testament when God spoke. Things happen when the Son speaks. This is the Son specifically holding all things together, keeping everything in working order by his word. We can think of all the flannel graph stories we get in Sunday school, right? Jesus walking on water calming the storm, making lame men walk, blind men receiving sight, dead people coming to life. There's another story. The story of Lazarus is one of the ones that we tell so often and over and over and over again that I've heard since before I can remember that it almost doesn't shock me anymore, which is disappointing. Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out. His word is not empty. It's not broken. It's not a wish. It's a command. His word carries force and meaning. Do we actually recognize this? That we got up this morning and gravity still worked because Jesus said so? That's a silly example, I know. But but that cars work the way that they do because physics work. That language works because Jesus says so. Paul writes in Colossians again, in him, that is Jesus, all things hold together. All things. So all things belong to him and he makes all things work. Then he comes to what turns out to be the crux of his entire, the, the, the whole point of what he's writing in don't go back to Judaism because Jesus is better. Don't look to Moses. Don't look to angels. Don't look to prophets. Don't look anywhere else but the Son because he provides purification for sin. Again, something only God can do. Remember the story of Uh, the lame man and his four friends and they were trying to get in to see Jesus when he was teaching and they couldn't get in. It was so packed. Which makes sense because when Jesus speaks, things happen so everybody wants to be there. Um, They can't get in, so what do they do? They cut a hole in the roof and they lower him down and the first thing that Jesus says when the lame man is sitting there is what? Your sins are forgiven. Son, your sins are forgiven. And if I were that man not to be ungrateful in any sense or try to seem ungrateful, I would have said, Lord, that's not why I came here. Lord, we went through this pretty big effort here because I can't walk. Can you deal with that first and then maybe we'll, we'll deal with whatever it is you're talking about here? He hasn't, been heard, he hasn't heard the preaching, right? He's not there for the teaching. He's there to walk. But Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. Why? To prove a point. Because the Pharisees, they get upset, right? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're mumbling in the back of the room, which tells me that even though they didn't believe what Jesus was saying, they still wanted to be around to hear what he said. Now, they wanted to try to figure out how to trick him and catch him in a lie. But they were there and they were grumbling. They're saying, 
How can he say that? Only God can forgive sins. And they were wrong about a lot of things in the New Testament. They misunderstood so much of the Old Testament, but they were right about that. Only God can forgive sins, right? Only the God of the universe can forgive what we have done in sinning against him. Only God can purify sin. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is so much more than a passing historical figure like the prophets. He's so much more than a bright shining angel that appears out of nowhere because he does something that only God can do and that nobody else can do, that nobody else in history has ever done because he is God. He can actually purify us. He can actually make atonement for sin. You know the phrase like father like son? I get that way too often. Apparently I'm more like my dad than I realize. But it used to be a compliment, right? It used to be, you do exactly what your dad does. And this actually used to be something that historically, you just grew up doing what your parents did, right? You became a farmer because your dad was a farmer. You became a mechanic because your dad was a mechanic. You became, I don't know, fill in the blank. Because your dad just kind of passed along what he did to you and you just took up the mantle of whatever he did. The son does what the father does like Father like son. What does God do? He forgives sin. What does the son do? Son, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees were right, but they misunderstood. They missed the glorious opportunity to actually see God himself standing in front of them and they didn't see it. How does he accomplish this? He accomplishes this by shedding his own blood. By entering the holy of holies by his blood, not by blood of bulls and goats. We get that later in Hebrews. The blood of bulls and goats can never atone for sin. Never, ever, ever. That's why it happened over and over and over again. If it actually worked, it would have stopped. Jesus enters once and once for all by his own blood. And after providing purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He did not stay in the grave. Right? We just celebrated Easter. And and we celebrate and are grateful for his death, his life, his ministry, his death, and we're grateful for his resurrection. But something that I think we just kind of tack on to the end, because maybe we don't really know what to do with it, is that he ascended into heaven. Up from the grave he arose. Amen. Love singing those songs. But he ascended into heaven, where he rules and reigns right now. The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. That's later in Hebrews 2. Um, We often take that and point that at the scriptures, right? The word of God is alive and active, and that's absolutely true. This is a living book because we serve a living God and a living king who lives now in heaven ruling and reigning. He rose to life, appeared to many, and then he ascended to the throne. He was king by nature of creating everything. Everything was his to begin with. But his kingship is even bigger and better now. It's greater because he has redeemed what nobody else could. He he has redeemed what seemed beyond hope. You read through the Old Testament and it seems like there's, there's nothing that can be done. Humanity, let alone Israel, everybody's just in a mess, right? What could possibly be done 
Only God has the answer, and the answer is in the Son, by believing in Him, by listening to Him. Hebrews 2, the author gets into, the enemies have been defeated. Sin, death, the devil, no power. Not anymore. The sun rules and reigns. And it's been appropriately looked at and seen and understood that he sits down because his work is complete. That is, the son has no more atoning work to do. He doesn't have to do it again. He doesn't have to... It's just done because it worked. His sin-defeating, devil-crushing, death-vanquishing work, it's, it's just complete. It all worked. Listen to him. What are the most important words that Jesus ever spoke for you and for me? This may be a massive can of worms that I'm opening. But, but, but if you, what? Thank you. There are lots of important things that Jesus said. Jesus never said something that is unimportant. We can all agree on that, right? Every single word that Jesus said is worth listening to and paying attention to. But when we hear the voice of God the Father speaking and saying, listen to the Son, this is my Son and listen to Him, we often think that He's talking about the do's and don'ts of the Christian life. Listen to what Jesus said. Don't be angry with each other. Don't murder. Don't look at people lustfully. Don't, don't do all of the bad things and do all of the good things, right? Listen to Jesus. Listen to him and your life will be better. It's true, but I think it's more than that because Jesus Christ on the cross, the moment before he gave up his spirit, willingly on the cross for the salvation of sinful humanity, he said it is finished. And if he did not say that, none of what he did would matter for us. Because if his his atoning work is not finished, that means I still got some work to do. And I can't do it. I can't get there, as the Old Testament pretty clearly shows. And as our author in Hebrews will expound later, all of the Old Testament stuff, it served a purpose. But what was its purpose? Not to actually save, not to actually work, but to point us forward to the one thing that did work. Jesus Christ, it is finished. His work is done. Enter his Sabbath rest. This is ridiculously hard to um, stick with just these couple of verses because everything else is in the book of Hebrews. So go home, read the book of Hebrews, and you'll get excited. It'll only take you like 45 minutes, an hour, okay? He says that it is finished. Stop working. Stop trying to attain the things that you can't attain. Why? Because the Son has done it. He has actually made a way for us to enter Sabbath rest. Moses didn't get us there. Joshua didn't get us there. They got into the promised land, and yet there was still some other kind of Sabbath rest that they were looking for. Where is it? Who can get us there? Not Joshua, not Moses, not any of the prophets. It's only in Jesus, because he brings rest to your soul. He brings a peace that only God can bring. And he brings it because he is God. And how does he do it? He does it. Not you. Not me. Not us. We can't get there. Only God. Only Jesus. We should be extremely thankful that Jesus, that his last words were, it is finished. 
He didn't say, we're almost there. He didn't say, almost done. He said, it is finished. God satisfied, atonement made, sins cleansed, souls purified. That's what we remember when we come to the table, right? We don't remember our own works and how much we contribute to salvation. We don't remember all of the great and wonderful things that we've done. We remember what he's done. His body, his blood, shed and sacrificed for you and for me. The table, the table is something that we, we can just do because we do it, right? As we can do with pretty much anything in church, right? We, we can come here and we can just listen to a sermon because that's what we do. We can sing some songs because that's what we do. We can eat a little piece of bread and, and drink a little piece of peace, a little cup of juice, um, just because that's what we do. But why do we do it? We don't do it because we're re-sacrificing the Son. We don't do it because if we don't do it, we're not saved. We do it because Jesus has done it all. And this is how we remember it. Don't you remember that he had a physical body, that he went through horrific things, and that he broke his body for you? Do you remember that he shed his blood? And as we get into Hebrews 9, that he shed his blood so that he could enter the Holy of Holies, and he entered the one place that could only be entered once a year by the high priest at one time, once a year, and he could only come in by blood, by the blood of the Lamb. And he did his business, he did what he was supposed to do, and he got the heck out of there. Why? Because he didn't want to have to be in there any longer than he had to. Because he had no right to be there. When the blood was gone, got to get out. Jesus enters by his blood, and he stays there. Our anchor holds within the veil. Why? Because Jesus is still in the presence of God doing his high priestly work of interceding for us. There is never a moment in history where Jesus will not be interceding for you before the Father. This is why we come to the table. This is why we remember. We remember because he's done it all. Are you grateful this morning? There are many other things that could be said and should be said. There are many other things that we could say and should say, even about the first three verses of Hebrews. We didn't get into it all. But if we don't remember who the Son is and what he's done for us, we miss the whole point. What does radiance mean? I don't know. It could mean this. It could mean that. It means he's God. And it means his work is done. I'm going to invite those who are helping with communion to come forward.